0: Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow with your host, Linda Nazareth.
1: Hello, and thank you for joining us today. As the pandemic unfolds, companies are increasingly turning to automation to get things done for good reasons. If we can have robots do dangerous jobs that could protect frontline workers from being infected with COVID-19, we're talking about medical workers, grocery workers, transit drivers, we know that those people have been at risk and sometimes have gotten sick, and if we could have machines take away some of their risk, that would be what those machines were there for in the first place. But you know, there's a lot of issues around this. Historically, when we've had machines do things, there's been a lag where human beings possibly lose jobs, possibly lose jobs possibly lose wages. But over the longer term, we have seen humans benefit. As the economy gets more efficient, we see productivity rise, we see wealth rise, and eventually that gets shared. This time around, in this fourth industrial revolution, as we call it, a bit of a question mark as to whether that was going to be the case even before the pandemic. And with the pandemic really changing things and speeding things up, we have a lot of things to consider. So to talk about all of those issues, we're joining by a couple of guests today that have different specialties, different viewpoints. Stephen Keith Platt, first guest, he's a retail consultant and a professor at Northwestern University. He talks about the grocery industry and how quickly automation is changing things there. We also talk a little bit about workers and what that might mean for them. Then we talked to Julie Carpenter. She's got a cool job. She's a roboticist as well as a research fellow at California State Polytechnic University. And she talks to us about what it will be like when robots and human beings work together, what kind of issues there are there. So lots of things to consider. We'll be talking a lot about this in future, but a really good discussion today. Please stay with us. where automation is changing things very quickly is the retail sector. We may not even realize that. We tend to think of it as a sector that's very labor-intensive, but actually there's a huge transformation that's going on, and the pandemic may mean that that transformation is going into warp speed. Now to talk more about that, I'm joined today by Stephen Keith Platt. He's the Director and Research Fellow at the Platt Retail Institute, and he's also an adjunct professor at Northwestern University. Thank you for joining us today.
2: Thank you so much, Linda. Glad to be here.
1: So let's start by going back to pre-pandemic days. So they weren't really that long ago, but kind of feels like they were. You've been involved in retail a long time. What were the big automation initiatives that you saw in the retail sector before the pandemic?
2: Sure. I I would say the bulk of the activity was around digitization, both in-store and online, of course. Um, mainly manifesting itself into technologies, uh, robotics, uh, to one extent, and to a much greater extent, um, application of AI.
1: When you say robotics, can you give us some examples of that? What are the applications you see being implemented?
2: Sure, sure. So uh, robotics uh, pre-pandemic uh, in retail, um, took a, a variety of uh, forms. Uh, for example, uh, Walmart has is moving to over a 1,000 robots and stores that perform what's known as shelf audits. Uh, robots circulate the store and they do price checks. Uh, they check for self-face shelvings. Uh, to ensure that product is in the right place and, in fact, in stock. Uh, You also have a a large chain of grocery stores on the East Coast. Stop and Shop Giant has over 500 robots uh, patrolling the stores for spill and hazard detection. Uh, Walmart, again, is deploying autonomous floor scrubbers. Uh, So this was all happening pre uh pandemic post uh we're starting to also now have a lot of interest in new applications things like uh taking people's temperature uh rapid scans uh 200 people per minute as well as checking to see if they're wearing masks and doing traffic counts uh, to control traffic within a store Um, that movement has really accelerated uh recently
1: So when you think about the things that these robots will be doing, are they mostly things that human beings used to do? Or are we talking about genuinely new initiatives? And why I'm asking is, are we talking about replacing people? Or are we talking about just making the sector more efficient, more productive, which will be really good overall?
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's more uh, it's more complementary uh, than replacing. So, if you think about a shelf audit bot, um, you know stores weren't able to do that consistently during the day because it's very it is very labor intensive and it's also an extremely repetitive and boring function for an employee. So, um, what it enables a retailer to do, for example, is rapidly spot out of stocks convey to an employee that they need to stock. So uh, it's more of a uh, efficiency sort of uh, complement uh, to, to robots working hand in hand with humans. Um, we don't really talk about replacing humans, but more in a complementary um, you know, sense.
1: You know, I would have absolutely agreed with you 100% before the pandemic. Now I wonder if that's completely true, because we are talking about a lot of people being out of work. Given that, is this just going to be a harder sell? Because at this point, you are replacing people.
2: Um, You know, again, I I, I don't think so because, you know, now you have people concerned about going to work, right, and all the, uh, the health issues and you know, you have robots that are capable in hospitals, for example, to uh, with uh, you know clean environments uh, where a human can't be present because of uh, the eye, uh, the U I uh, rays that they generate. So um, I, I think that again, it's sort of a complementary function. I don't think I don't think that the the concern is the labor trade off labor replacement issue at all
1: that's interesting do you think there's a part of the sector that's going to be transformed faster than other parts and here i'm really looking at grocery stores is this where we're going to see the most radical changes
2: um yeah predominantly they've been uh, uh, concentrated in grocery stores of course walmart's the largest uh, grocery retailer in the u.s at least um, that's pretty much been a function of cost and size, cost of the bot versus the size of the environment. So so putting a bot for example in a you know 10,000 square foot specialty uh, boutique uh, historically has been expensive uh, but with the emergence of advanced technologies such as uh, moving a lot of the computational, Uh, requirements off the bot through 5G into the cloud, you know, we're going to see the cost of these things drop fairly dramatically. And so we look for uh, adoption in even smaller uh, environments.
1: Now, you bring up the fact that this is a capital intensive process. Is that a factor here? Should we expect to see things get pulled back because the economy is slowing? Or will it be the opposite? Will they invest even faster?
2: You know, I I think it's really an issue of, you know, where you sit, right? If if your stores are opened, uh, then, you know, you're you're looking at expenses, uh, increased labor, dramatically increased, you know, labor costs right now, uh, hazard pay, et cetera, et cetera. You know, some of the firms that are opened are are hiring rapidly. Um, And so... For them, obviously, having the capital to spend is is not quite the same. Um, Clearly, for stores that aren't open and are more concerned with survival for right now, um, I think that their adoption is is obviously going to lag until they get back on their feet. But once they do, uh, exploring these options is going to become a necessity.
1: Interesting. So when you think about the retail sector post-pandemic, two years, three years, five years from now, how different will the sector look? How different will the retail experience
2: feel? Um, You know, again, I think uh, that's a good question. Thank you. Uh, You know, it really depends on uh, the type of retailer, right? I mean... uh, There's going to be environments where robots will never be helpful or or beneficial. So maybe, uh, for example, um, you know, a a, a cosmetics retailer, right, Um, with this, you know, high-touch, high-experience. Although even within those environments, you are seeing AI-type applications where a customer can – try on some makeup and, you know, then they can try, you know, show how they would look with this shade or that shade. And, you know, that's all done through AI. Um, so in certain environments like that, I just really don't see it. Um, but in many others, even department stores longer term, the, you know, if they survive, uh, and I'm sure a few of them will Macy's, for example, Kohl's, for example, um, you know, automation is, is key to survival. And, you know, we've, we've looked at, at stores of the future and, you know, where today 100,000 square foot of a store, you know, let's say or, or 90% or 80% of a store's square footage is devoted to selling space and 10 or 20% is devoted to, uh, you know, warehousing, if you will, or back room. Uh, You know, we see that dramatically shifting where fulfillment um, at the local level is dramatically increased. And you see that now with uh, like Kroger, for example, has dark stores where they're only doing fulfillment. But those stores were not built for that function. So it's, it's much more expensive. But in the future, if I was opening a grocery store... You know, a lot more of it would be dedicated in the back to having bots do online fulfillment, dropping orders into autonomous delivery vehicles, um, dramatically impacting the the costs associated with delivery to people's homes.
1: So the existing malls that we have, can they be adapted to this new model? Will it help them because maybe they can become more efficient? Or is that model of malls just done?
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think you know the reality of the world is if if you're a retailer with a thousand stores today, you have a thousand stores today, right? And uh, it's it's going to be uh, pretty expensive to uh, reconfigure those to be something they were not intended to be. Not to say it's not possible, but uh, so I think you know you're talking about a ten-year transition. Uh, where uh, automation, robots, AI are um, deployed in the current environment, i.e., the the hand you're dealt with, uh, and as um, time goes on, that you'll see uh, some of these retail stores uh, evolving into very, very different models. Um, so you're going to see, you know, restaurants that don't even serve customers, for example, in, in, inside the restaurant, right? They're just sort of cooking spots uh, locally uh, where you could rapidly uh, deliver them. And um, so there's there's a lot of changes afoot. A lot of this really existed pre-pandemic. I think the big the big surprise really is is around restaurants and, and how people will, will visit restaurants and theaters and, and places like that are going to change somewhat dramatically in the next couple of years.
1: So looking forward, and I know this may be hard to answer, but a lot of people are really downbeat on the retail sector. Now, they say restaurants are done, stores are done. And for sure, we're going to come out of this with a lot of bankruptcies. It's going to be hard for a lot of... Uh, stores, restaurants, whatever, to be profitable for a long time. But given what you know about the technology, does that make you more upbeat? Are you more of an optimist?
2: Um, I am. Um, I mean, in the U.S., we've been overstored for years and years and years. There's no surprise there. Um, I think this whole pandemic, of course, you know, just accelerated the demise of, of certain chains that we're going to die eventually. I mean, uh, you know, if you look at what happened to Sears, uh, for example, I mean, that had nothing to do with this. It had a lot to do with, um, you know, and I'm not picking on Sears, but just its ability to remain relevant uh, to customers. And, you know, we can talk about the financial situation and what happened there. But, um, you know, when a retailer no longer becomes relevant, J.C. Penny, for example, um, no amount of technology or anything else is going to help them. Uh, the flip side of that is retail—you know—is is an important part of the U.S. economy, and uh, people need to shop, and they will continue to shop. Uh, the question is, how do you most effectively and profitably serve them?
1: Stephen Keith Blatt, thank you so much for joining us today. As we move to a world with even more automation, as human beings, we're going to have to continuously adjust. More and more frequently, we're going to be working with robots and cobots, and that will mean different challenges than we have working with our human colleagues. Julie Carpenter is a roboticist and a research fellow at the Ethics and Emerging Sciences Group at California State Polytechnic University. She spends her time thinking about what comes next as regards the interaction between automation and human beings, and she joins us now. Hi,
0: Julie. Hi, how are you?
1: Thanks so much for joining us. It's uh, an interesting time in history, is it not?
0: It is, and it's a a weird time for all of us in many ways, and uh, yeah, it's crazy, right?
1: Absolutely. Now you have a really interesting job I think because you try and think about what comes next for us as we bring robots into our workplace and as we bring automation I and mean, just give us an idea of the overarching themes of that.
0: Yeah, I mean robots are great at doing a lot of jobs that could either prevent exposure to things like infectious diseases or help us resolve some issues in a safer way. Um, Robots can be great at doing repetitive jobs, at doing dangerous jobs, um, and doing jobs that specifically in the area of danger, um, like infectious disease are what we call dirty jobs, right? So if you can keep people at a safer distance, that's a wonderful thing. We've already had things in place, like some cities have some delivery robots. Um, Of course, most of us are familiar with seeing industrial robots, like on a factory line, but certainly robots are taking all kinds of New shapes during the pandemic, and it's an unfortunate reality that times of uh, great crisis, whether it's war or pandemics, it, are often times when we turn to our technology to see, you know, what can be advanced urgently, and how can we repurpose things that we might technologies we might already have in place to keep everybody safer. So there's a lot going on in the robotics industry right now.
1: Well, even pre-pandemic, there was a lot going on. Like, what are the things that people were looking at even before we had this issue of danger?
0: Yeah. A couple of things that I've been looking at for years are uh, people's trust of autonomous systems or semi-autonomous robotic systems. Um, and that trust uh, is its an interesting dynamic. It's not easy to pin down like a lot of subjective States that people have, and of course, trust is um, not a static state, right? It's dynamic. You can trust somebody or a thing, right, for one moment, and then you can lose trust in this case, perhaps in a robot or an AI system. And then that trust has to be repaired or recovered for somebody to work with the system uh, efficiently and effectively, or for people to adopt the system. Uh, So, trust is certainly a big question that is sort of a, a high overarching question for a lot of the work that I do.
1: And do you see that people have trust or do people have unease? Do they have fear? Do they have anger? As these are machines that are doing functions that human beings used to do and some people want to keep
0: doing them. Yeah, so actually, really quickly, I'll answer that second part or sort of respond to that second part. Yeah, sometimes robots absolutely uh, are doing tasks or jobs that people Sort of used to do, as you put it. But what we're in a period right now where more typically robots are not super intelligent and they don't understand the context of our everyday lives because they don't understand human motivations and goals and relationship dynamics and things like culture. So quite often, robots, um, we give them perhaps more credit. Uh, to, about their autonomy to our own detriment. And that is not the general public's fault, right? So there are, of course, we, so I'm getting back to the first part of your question, of course, with trust. Um, For example, you can see videos online frequently from some big robotics companies that are demonstrating uh, usually the physical abilities of the robot, right? So big, uh, Big Dog is an example of that robot or spot or even cheetah a lot of the robots from boston dynamics or the Sophia robot from hansen robotics um they release videos to demonstrate capabilities of robots and people who don't work with robots every day like the majority of the world or have not had interactions with um, robots or robots that are these this advanced that weren't necessarily made for consumer interactions uh, what happens is People turn to, as you do anytime you're faced with a situation that's unfamiliar to you, in this case, perhaps observing an advanced robot, your brain turns to a paradigm of something that it believes is similar, okay? And uh, to apply that to this new experience. And a lot of times, the paradigm people have in their minds for uh, what they expect an interaction in real life to be a robot uh, with a robot would be like is something akin to what they've seen in science fiction or read in science fiction.
1: Well let's talk about human beings working with robots there's something called cobots too mm-hmm. right? Talk about that a little bit
0: mm-hmm. Well cobots are, it's generally a it's a conceptual difference. Um, I guess you could say cobots and robots. Cobots are specifically developed to work with people, Um, whereas robot is sort of, it's, um, you know, frankly, both terms are a little wishy-washy. Well, robot is a problematic term in general. There's no one definition for it. If I say the word robot, and you perhaps don't interact with robots every day, again, you might go to that touchstone of familiarity and think, Oh, something human-like, or something like C three PO, or something that looks very human-like, like on Westworld. Or um, you might think, if you're a factory worker, you might be more familiar with an industrial robot, right? I mean, and there's software robots. It's frankly a term that, in the whole field of robotics or human robot interaction and all the adjacent fields, we have we don't have one definition for. So that's. Sort of an interesting challenge, right? That means in research that we always have to go in with our own definition and make that very clear. So, similarly, answering your question, normally I would start by defining what a robot is. There's no one agreed upon definition. Let's say a machine that can be uh, semi autonomous or autonomous and it um, can learn. From its environment and apply that learning to its roles and tasks. And of course, it's an artificial system. Then all sorts of roboticists, etc., might disagree about other details of the definition. Cobots, as a broad definition, are meant to work alongside people, to augment human work, to cooperate well with human work, and to potentially even collaborate, depending on the AI, to a certain degree. Whereas, as I said, robots, you might think in your head as something autonomous um, and not necessarily made, let's just say not necessarily made to work with a human in every situation.
1: Okay. So as we bring them in, whether it's robots or cobots or different kinds of automation, are there some industries that are going to be more transformed more quickly than others from your point of view? Obviously, grocery stores are moving on this. They're trying to keep workers safe. But is there something we're missing here? Are robots set to take over any particular industry?
0: Yeah. Well, uh, again, the language would take over. <laughs> I know. But it's how people think of it, right? I know. It is how people think of it. And my... um my job, I think of my job, is not to advocate for the robots. My job is actually to advocate for the users, for people. Um, as that's a large part of how I see my role. And, and so I advocate for people and their needs and their safety um, in their interactions with robots. So that's why that language is important to me. Um, I, I think that that creates anxiety, um, that with that kind of language can create a lot of anxiety for people. Uh, so let's talk about industries that robots will sort of, as you said, um, have an increasing role in, especially since the pandemic. One obvious one would be healthcare, care, right? Um, and healthcare care goes beyond a hospital or clinic setting, of course. So first of all, we're seeing some off-the-shelf robots, robots that were already out there created for perhaps different purposes that now roboticists and private companies are looking into how can we change or morph our current off-the-shelf robots for these new pandemic needs. So one is certainly healthcare. Um, For example, I just got done talking about Boston Dynamics and their amazing robots. (laughs) Their spot robot is being used in trials in healthcare in a clinical setting to it's basically it looks sort of like a small dog. Most of us have seen it on YouTube or similar platforms. Um, and it can open doors. Um, it just it resembles a doll. It's what we call biomimicry. But in this case, it's got sort of an iPad, where the face or the head might be. And it can be teleoperated or operated at a distance. So in this trial in particular, what they're trying to do is keep healthcare workers and providers at a safer distance from, and patients as well, uh, at a safe distance from providers in a potentially highly infectious situation. So this robot um, will go in and can do some very rudimentary triage work with that person teleoperating it from a distance. So it can do things like just get feedback, how the patient is doing. I think they had the robot set up so it can take some vitals, like perhaps pull, and I think they're working on even temperature as well. Um, but they're using it as a communication device. So that's one way. Uh, s- uh, also, for off-the-shelf drones, it's being used in healthcare, but also sort of slash public health and safety uh, drones that were used in... Um, Farming and agricultural situations where perhaps before they may have sprayed pesticides or that sort of thing could now perhaps be refitted to disinfect public areas uh, with people not in them, of course, at train stations, metro stations, um, other public spaces. And, of course, things like delivery, which, of course, delivery robots were already out there um, on a much smaller scale. But we may see an increase in things like delivery robots, security robots, uh, monitoring or suggesting that people go home. Right. Uh, If it's a self-quarantine situation, so sort of monitoring public spaces, there's a lot of ways uh, robots are potentially going to be used. Now, while we're in the midst of the pandemic and increasingly post-pandemic.
1: And this is obviously accelerating the change in these industries. We're not going to go back after this, right? These are not temporary robots.
0: Yeah, that's a good question. So I think in some cases, the, the work will go forward. But as with any work, people have to determine, people being uh, the decision makers and stakeholders who fund work like this, have to continue to fund it. And and not sort of lose interest. Uh, after, you know, when the pandemic is sort of contained eventually, um. So yeah. So for what I'm saying is, projects can certainly move forward to a certain degree, and we might have new discoveries like robots that have uses across facilities and situations that we didn't see before. But for this sort of push to go forward. Obviously, private organizations and universities and all these places working on um, these sorts of ideas have to have funding maintained. And I know that that doesn't sound very sexy, but it's the sad truth about uh, how this sort of thing works. So we might see a quick rush in new concepts and ideas and moving forward, Um, but we'll see how it plays out, you know, five, ten years from now.
1: But ultimately for companies, presumably this takes down the cost of getting things done, does it not? Because that's what it comes down to for workers. If it's cheaper to use the robot, they will.
0: Well, but initially it's not always cost saving. Um, there can be a lot of expensive infrastructure put in with robotics. Not all robots are, I mean, there's all sorts of robots in all sorts of sizes that do all sorts of tasks, right? And sometimes it means retrofitting an entire, let's say, factory to have robots in. And that may not be cost-effective. Uh, sometimes robots are not um, te- as technologically advanced as one might think. For example, delivery robots that uh, you may have seen, they sort of resemble like, oh, the old uh, coolers that you drag to the, the beach, right? <laughs> Full of yeah. Full of drinks and that kind of thing. Um, they kind of resemble coolers on wheels. Sometimes those robots are actually teleoperated by people. At a great distance. In other words, there's cameras on those robots, and there is lidar and other technical things making it possible. But the eyes or the actions or the behaviors of the robot are actually used by people, uh, manipulated by people at a distance. So it does keep people safer, like in an infectious disease situation. But that technology might not even be exactly as advanced as you think it is, right? So. It's a complicated question. It
1: is a complicated question. It's a complicated time too. Julie, thanks so much for joining us. Julie Carpenter is a roboticist and research fellow at the Ethics and Emerging Sciences Group at California State Polytechnic University.
0: To learn more about work and the future and to see show notes, go to theworkandthefuturepodcast.com. You can also contact us at comments at theworkandthefuturepodcast.com. The Work in the Future podcast with Linda Nazareth is a Relentless Economics production.